with me as I pray. Father, I, I do pray that that wouldn't just be a song that we just sang, but it would be the song of our souls, Lord. That, that as we, not just here on Sundays, but um, throughout the week, that, Lord, that, that our souls would sing that there is a king who, is, who has brought us to life. From death to life is the story of the gospel. It is the story that you've been telling. A story of redemption from our rebellion. A story of reconciliation from the separation that, that we have caused. Lord, like, like little children slapping your hand away again and again. You remind us that, that you are a patient, good father. That you are a loving, pursuing savior. That your gospel is the truth. That the story that you've been telling from the beginning has not changed. Nothing in our lives or in this world is going to change that. But Lord, you have us here for a purpose. And that is to make your glory known. That is to point people to the point of it all. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is in his majestic and beautiful name that we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. And, or no, I'm sorry, remain standing for the reading of the word. Thank you, Caitlin, for remembering. Yes. Um, Romans 6, 12 through 18. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the, under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. And thank you, sweet Caitlin. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Yes, Romans, we're back there. Romans chapter, I know we've had that on the wall now, but we took about um, a two-month break to talk about gospel conversations. How do we engage with people? How do we remember, one, who we are and, what, and why we're here? And then, two, how do we engage with the world to help generate conversations that will point people to Christ, right? And, and the reason we took a break wasn't just because it was summertime, was because we want our like our conversations, what we're talking about and how we're talking to people, we want those things informed and transformed by our theology, but we also want our theology put into practice. So it isn't just about knowing the richness of the word of God and the gospel truth, which is what Romans is about, but it is also about how do we then engage a culture that needs to hear that. So that leads us to our first talking points question. It's on the back of the, of the insert in your bulletin. What is wrong in the world? So what is wrong in the world, I'm asking? Okay. Rebellion. Sin. Because do you understand how, how the, fact that, the fact that we need the right answer to that question 
um, is really important because if we don't have the right answer, if we, say the, if we say something like, what's wrong with the world is politics, what's wrong with the world is selfishness, what's wrong with the world is, um, is divorce, what's wrong with the world is the disintegration of the family, what's wrong with the world is even a lot of the stuff that, that we so beautifully prayed about during our prayer time. Guys, if, if, if that is our only answer, and those things are all problems in the world, but if that is our only answer and we don't take it back to rebellion, sin, just the, the forgetting God and his glorious story, then we're, then we're not going to, po- we can't possibly come to people with the right answer. Like if we don't have the right, if, if, if we don't really know, then, then how can we possibly give them what they really need? And that's the beauty of Romans. Because the answer to all of the world's problems, the answer to all of the world's problems is Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, all of the problems, the only answer is the gospel that is Christ Jesus. And so if we don't come and understand from that place, we can't possibly get them to the place they need to be. So as we're looking at this theology of Romans, we don't want to leave behind what we just did for the last, since really since the middle of May, in looking at how we engage the culture. All theology is, is God explaining, here's who I am, here's what I've done, I'm Father, Son, and Spirit, here's who you are, I created you in my image, and here's what the problem is, here's what I've done to fix it, and here's, this is the the part for us today, here's your part in that story. Here's what you need to do to engage with me. This is God saying, engage with me in the story. So that leads us to, back to Romans. So like I said, turn, if you're not there already, turn in Romans chapter 6. And what we've looked at so far, it's been since the middle of May. May 15th was the last message I preached in Romans. We finished in verse 11, and we'll start back there in just a minute. But if you just by way of reminder, we looked at um, the rejection of God's righteousness in the first part of Romans. We looked at the imputation or the, how God establishes his righteousness in us in the next few chapters of Romans. And now we're starting a new section that I'm calling the reign of righteousness. Not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N. The reign of, reign is just, it's the idea of king kingdom, something that actually has control of. So we're looking at, so, so remember that, the reign we're talking about is how God has control. And in the gospel, and in your transformation in the gospel, he has control. And so we want to, um, we want to come to it from that place. And that, that brings us to today's message, which is the reign, the control of a new master. And we're going to pick it up, and we're going to start, we're going to be in verse 12, what Caitlin just read, but we're going to start back in verse 11 as we look at this question. How do you know what has mastered you? Because everything I just said, maybe you just already have lost interest. Like, everybody here is mastered by something, moment or someone, moment by moment. The question then becomes, how do we know what it is moment by moment? And that's what Paul is going to help us understand this week and next week. I I broke it up into two messages um, as we finish up the the rest of chapter 6 next week, Lord willing. And we're going to start in verse 11, like I said, of chapter 6, looking at our first point. 
Do you believe that there is a God who creates? So here's, so here's, chapter, here's, here's verse 11 of chapter 6. This is where we left off back on May 15th. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now guys, I, you can read that and, and, and go, okay, so, so, wait a minute, so, so, so what, Paul? So, so in, like, like where are you getting this, Paul? So I must consider myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. That sounds like a big ask, Paul, because I know me. Like I, I know I still struggle. So he's like, you got to consider yourself dead, Doug? I mean, I'm not sure. How do we know that's true? Life to death. I'm sorry, death to life. That is the story of the gospel. That is the story Paul has been telling us. It's this idea of, of how do we, how do we know? How do we know that the gospel is really true? Well, let's go back, and, and by way of review, this first point is just to, re- to bring us back up to speed with where we are. We have to know, well, guys, it has to start with that we believe that there is a God and that he has created, and that he has created humanity in his image. Guys, there is a reason that when communists take over a country, they, they immediately push Darwinism. Why? Because it gives people, because, because inherently in every person, this was me, God mocking atheist, I taught evolution for years. Guys, the, God has put in the heart of every person a knowledge that there is a God, that He did create them. And so when people tell them, no, there isn't, they go, okay, so how did I get here? Welcome Marxism, Darwinism, all the other isms of the world. They're trying to fill that hole that only the gospel can fill. This is not a new problem. This is, Darwin didn't invent that. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, look at Romans 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 21. No, I'm sorry, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. We've, We've always rejected the righteousness of God the right standing of God in our lives. For the wrath of God is revealed, so I'm in Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So here's what they're saying. They're saying to 24-year-old atheist, um, evolution-believing Doug, they're saying, Doug, you you knew the truth simply by looking around. If there's a building, you know there was a... If there was a painting, you know there was a... If there's a sculpture, a sculpture, you know there was a sculptor. If there is a, if there is creation, there is a creator. Darwinianism does not fix that problem, guys. That's not what this message is about. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That was, that was who I was. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they made idols. Therefore, 
God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to, the, to dishonor, and to their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God and, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Guys, now we might go, yeah, but I'm, I'm not building idols. I don't have birds and whatever. Guys, it's, it's what RJ was led to share during our gospel moment. We just have, we just have different idols. So maybe it's not just physical stuff. Maybe you're like, yeah, but I don't have any money anyway, so I don't have any physical stuff. It, doesn't have to be, it could be security. It could be safety. It could be a relationship. It could be all kinds of things that, that, we, that we make an idol. We are, guys, the reason we are idol worshipers is because the biggest idol we have looks us in the face every time we look in the mirror. Our idol of self is huge. And so we try to find idols that feed that one, the idol of self. So now pick it up in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, we, we've talked about how the therefores in Romans are very important. Here's one of them. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who, ju- who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you who judge practice the very same things. And then he goes on in the rest of that chapter. And what we talked about, these are all online. You can go back and listen to them or watch them. But guys, what, what he talks about in that chapter is, guys, we all judge. We, we blame God for judging. That's what you, like, so now you're saying we rejected God. Then we get mad at God for judging us and, and what we would say sending people to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We jump there apart from his grace, right? Now, now, so we get mad at God, for, but, but we all, he's, Paul's saying, you all judge, and you have no right to judge because you actually do the stuff you're judging other people for. Because we all want justice. Remember we talked about that? We all want judges. We just want to be the ones who get to set the bar. I want to be the one who decides who and what gets judged for what and when. God's like, no, I'm the judge, so now look at Romans 3 verses 20, in verse 20. Again, this is just all by way of review of where we've been to sort of set the table for how do we know that we're alive, we're dead to sin and alive. It's because what God has done. So now he's saying because you have rejected God and he is in his holiness compelled to judge us, he says this, for the works of the law, verse 20 of chapter 3, no human being will be justified. So he's saying you can't do anything to get right. You can't make it up to God. Right? And then he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Probably one of the best known passages in Romans. Because here's, here's, here's why that passage rubs against us. It rubs against us, you, me. It certainly rubs against the world. When you go up to somebody and go, hey, did you know that, that you're a sinner? That all of sin and fall short of the glory of God? Do you know why, why that rubs against us? Because of that first problem we have, self. Wait a minute, I'm a good person. I'm better than that dude. Scorekeeping, all that stuff that we do. But here's the other thing that, 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 it, <coughs> excuse me, that it tends to do to us. It tends, part of why we struggle with believing everyone is a sinner like, how can everyone be born into sin? One, we just don't really believe how bad we really are. But here's the other reason. We, don't, we have no comprehension, comprehension, and this is really the biggest reason. We have no comprehension of the glory of God. 
Like it, it isn't so much, we get caught up, remember I talked about, we get caught up in trying to measure sin like this little build, like this person versus a skyscraper building and, and we're trying to measure like, like whose sin is big enough to, or small enough to be saved and whose is big enough to go to hell and, and, and yet God is like infinitely above any of that. So no matter what we do or don't do, it's all nothing to him. Not because we're nothing, but because he is so everything. And so what we have to do is go, okay, we all fall short of the glory of God because, because, yes, we are rebels at heart, and two, because God is just that good. Okay, so here's, the, so here's the problem. We rebelled. God is compelled to judge that, and we would want him to. We do want him to. None of us can work our way there. So, hey, God, what's the solution? How do we fix this? That's every other world religion is trying to figure out the answer to that problem. And it's every other religion in the world is trying to do it by saying, this is what you do. Christianity says, here's what God did. That's Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, Look at, um, pick it up in verse 16. He says in Romans 4, he says, he's talking about Abraham. Lived 2,100 years before Christ. If you're taking the Old Testament survey class, you'll learn that. 2100 starts in September, sign up. Um, it says, what, that is why it depends in, on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the ones who share the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, I don't have time to go back into it all, but here and again in Galatians, Paul makes this really strong point of saying, guys, here was God's plan. It started back in the Garden in Genesis, but it, it starts to really get specific. He's like, through a specific lineage, I am going to bring about the Savior of the world. And he looks at Abraham, who was a nothing nobody in the Near East at the time, and he says, hey, Abram, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he's like, I don't even have a kid. My wife can't even give birth. And then he goes on in chapter 4 and he says, so these are such beautiful passages, I have to take the time to read. Look at verse 18. In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations. So shall your offspring be. And then he goes on in verse 21. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Guys, was was Abraham made righteous by doing anything? What was he made righteous by? Believing. Believing what? God's promise. That's the gospel. That's it. That's why it's so hard to believe. Because it's so stinking easy. We, we're like, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm just good enough that, man, you must need me to do something, Lord. He's like, no, you're just so bad. I can't rely on you to do anything, Doug. Look at verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Another one of those therefores. Therefore, this is it. This is the gospel right here. This is what the gospel does. She's like, you rebelled. You kept slapping God's hand away. God has to judge it. We want him to judge it. Everybody falls short of his glory. God started this promise in the Old Testament all the way back in Genesis. He's been fulfilling it. He is still fulfilling it today. And then he says this, but because Christ came... 
and the cross happened, and the resurrection occurred, and the penalty was paid, redemption happened. We rebelled, God redeemed. And then he says this, now because of that, since you have been justified, that means made righteous, made right with God, you've been justified by faith, by believing in the promise. We have peace with God through our Lord, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because that's the gospel. God, What we could not do, God did. What we would not do, Jesus was willing to do. And he comes here and does it for us. And he, rec- he reconciles the separation that our sin established. Death to life. Separation to reconciliation. If you get nothing else out of what we've talked about so far in the, in the gospel according to Romans, that's the story of the gospel so far in Romans. It is this idea of God has reconciled what our sin separated. But all of that comes back to do we even believe that there is a God who created all of that, created all of this, created you in his image, and wants relationship. Like, the whole rest of the story from, from Genesis two, 3 on is about God pursuing relationship. So do we really believe that? Look at your second talking points question. What are some of the obstacles you face in believing that the God of the universe really wants to really relate to you in, per, in a personal way? What are some obstacles you face? I'm not sure I want to even get answers out loud but I want you to stop and think about it like what what is it like right now because I, I, I mean if uh, at least for me I mean I have I have moments I have many moments where I stop and I go man why not why is this happening to me like why, why do you even care but you do because of who he is the reason I struggle to believe that God wants a relationship with me is because I'm still focused on me. Guys, there are parts of me I don't want relationship with. God does. And it says, back to kind of our last series that we were in, the gospel conversations, how might the not yet saved have those same struggles without even knowing it? Maybe they don't even believe there is a God. But part of why they don't believe it is they don't believe there. They don't believe there's pot. It could be possible for there to be a God in heaven who would love them because of who they are and what they've done. How might we lead them into such encounters, guys? Here's here's the ultimate answer to that question. By how we live. And I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about compassion. I'm talking about humility. I'm talking about when you say to somebody, hey, come and see. Just come and see. Just come to my home and have dinner. Just come, to, just, just, just come and see. Would you lead them into an, an encounter with Christ? Just, just by how you live. That brings us to our second point and our new material. So, we're back in Romans chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 12, and we're going to look at, so, so how do we know that what we've been mastered by? One, do you, believe that, do you even believe that there is a God? 
and that he has created and wants to relate. The second thing is, do you live like you have been brought to life? So Paul, remember in verse 11, he's like, so be, you are dead to sin, alive to Christ. So now he's going to go on for the next couple of chapters, and he's going to give us this little aside into his own personal struggles, is what it ends up being, because here's this amazing apostle Paul who really still struggled with sin like the rest of us, because he still had the flesh, and, and he's going, but do you live like you've actually been brought to life? So let's pick it up in verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now I want to stop right there. The the verbs in verse 12, do not sin. Like in the NASB it says therefore, because it's all one word. Do not sin. That's an imperative. It's a command. It's also in the active voice. He's like, you, right now, stop. Present tense. Stop sinning. And then he says, and present your members. Do not, and then he says, do not present, in verse 12, do not present your members to sin. Same, same tense voice mood in the Greek. Present active imperative. He's saying, right now, stop practicing sin. Do it. Don't doubt it. Just stop it. And then he says, um, <laughs> excuse me, and then he says, um, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There's the gospel, death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now that, here's what's interesting. That second form of the, ver- of the word present there in the second half of verse 13, when he says, but present yourselves to God as instruments of grace, that's in the imperative, it's a command, do it. It is in the aorist tense, which just means without, not subject to time. So he's saying all the time, your whole life, you constantly have to be about the practice of presenting yourself to God over and over and over. Not for salvation. He's saying for victory. So he's like, stop, stop sinning But man, the only way you do that is by continually relying over and over and over again on the grace of God. Now here's what's interesting about the the last part of that verse when he says, present yourselves and your members, your body, as instruments for righteousness. That word instruments there in the Greek actually is often translated weapon. So doesn't that give it a little different? Doesn't that give verse 13 a little different? So you are either presenting your body as a weapon for sin or you're presenting your body to God as a weapon for righteousness. Let me give you a great example. Don't turn there, I'm preaching. But in, in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's David and Bathsheba. Right away I say 2 Samuel chapter 11, David and Bathsheba. Many of you, you know the story. You know how he, um, he, calls, he calls Bathsheba in, then, he, then she gets pregnant. He then murders her, her husband because he's trying to cover up his own sin. You guys, Nathan comes in and confronts him. That's all. 2 Samuel 11 and 12, again, Old Testament survey class starts in September. You're going to learn all about why that, mat- why that really matters. Guys, but here's the part about that passage that is the most important to me, and, and because the rest of it is talked about in great detail by David in places like Psalm 51. Here's, you know how that scene starts? It doesn't start with the lust of the flesh. 
He doesn't say, David saw Bathsheba and went, wow, what a wonderful dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. I want to hang out with her. Right? He didn't say that. You know, what, you know how 2 Samuel chapter 11 starts? In the time when kings go to war, David stayed home. And the rest, as they say, is history. So when Paul, so wait a minute, you're like, but I'm not a king, and I don't know what, you're, what are you talking about? Guys, most, most of the time when we're presenting our bodies to sin as a weapon for sin or as a weapon of, um, to God for righteousness, they aren't the big, deep, dark things. David did not go, I'm going to stay home so I can commit adultery. He just didn't do what he was designed to do. He was designed. He was a mighty warrior. He was designed to go to battle. Guys, how does that relate to us? Here's how it relates to us. Listen, 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 listen. So many of us are consumed in the sins of the flesh. And guys, first of all, stop thinking about the biggies. Well, I'm addicted to pornography. Okay, stop it. Let's talk. But stop thinking about stuff like that. Start, just start thinking about, guys, think about gossip. How, how do I keep getting myself into these conversations that are not edifying and encouraging? They might feel good. I'm, I'm just seeking prayer, counsel, whatever. gossip, slander. How do I get myself caught up in just t- wasting time and being slothful? Whatever those things. Like just think about just everyday life kinds of sins where we're, where we're not. Guys, why are we consumed in those? Because we're not doing what we were designed to do. Get busy about being in, involved in his kingdom, on mission for him, serving in his church, going out and tell people about Jesus, helping people have stronger marriages, helping our young people grow up and, and, and start a marriage in the right way. Guys, whatever that is for you, get busy about that and watch and see how your sins stop being such a struggle. You know why I don't sin as much now about those biggies as I used to? I don't have time. Honestly, I just don't have time for that. Sit around, hang out, meet with your girlfriends that, are, that love to talk, love to gossip, and then, and then wonder why you're in such a bad mood all the time. It's got to stop. Right? We are made for war. It's a spiritual war. And we need to be about the battle. Pick it up in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Dominion, rulership, executing control of. He's saying moment by moment, are you going to live your life presenting your, your instruments, your weapon, to sin or to God. That's the battle. And it starts here. In the season when kings go to battle, David stayed home. But guys, part of, another reason we don't live in victory, and I was going to have you turn there. I'm not going to in the interest of time. Um, is because we don't live fully freed. We don't live what he just said in those first three verses. You're going to read this week in your daily readings about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and I'm taking the time to break it up into three different pieces. Do you remember what happens 
You know, the, the whole story, you're going to read the whole thing. But at the, so Jesus, he, the whole thing happens. Jesus cries, the, and, and then he finally, and, and, and they're like, hey, don't, don't remove the, to, the stone because um, he's been dead four days, and he's, he's going to smell bad and everything else. And he's like, don't, did I not tell you that I am the resurrection and the life? Don't you believe that? So they roll the stone away, and he says, Father, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. The only reason I'm praying this right now out loud to you is so these people get it. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Do you remember what happens next? Lazarus comes out. Right? What if he, this is how most of us live. That little rant I just went on about get, get out of your little pity party, get out of your little whatever your struggle is, and just start serving the Lord. This is, this is, how, this is how he could have stayed living. He was alive. Jesus had resurrected, or not resurrected, but really resuscitated him. But he was still bound. So Jesus says, unbind the man. He's alive. Get rid of those grave clothes and put on my grace clothes. But guys, what if Lazarus had gone, yeah, but man, the world is scary. And and I, I, I died once. I don't want to go through that again. So if you don't mind, Jesus, thank you for the whole resurrection and, and unbinding thing. But I'm just going to hang out here in the tomb. As my friend Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. How many of us are still living in the tomb? We've been freed. We're just too afraid to get out. <laughs> right? That's what sadly that can look like. Brings us to our last talking points question, and I'm just going to skim over it because you can read it on your own. It's the idea of Jesus saying, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Guys, the call to follow Jesus is a call to die. What he's saying, take up the cross, that is not your cross to bear as your spouse that annoys you or your coworker that's bothering you. The, the, call, the call that he's making on, in that verse is a call to come and die with me. That's all they would have heard in that era. People weren't wearing little crosses around their neck back then. It was a sign of death. He's saying, come die. How do we know it's a call to die? Because that's what he did. We're called to follow him. If you want to follow me, the call to follow Christ is a call to die. How do we know? Because that's where he went. He wasn't trapped into the cross, guys. Get that. He set his heart on Jerusalem way before he went to the cross. That means he knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he went there willingly. Why? Because he knew he had to. He knew it was why he was here. Do you know why you're here? That's the question. And that leads us to our last point. Do you see obedience to Christ as a burden or as a blessing? Do you see obedience to Christ as a burden or as a blessing. I'm going to say, right, look at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we not, we're not, no longer 
under the law but under grace? By no means. It's the same rhetorical question he asked in verse 1. He's like, so since grace covers everything, I can just keep sinning. He's like, no, you're missing the point. I'm not going to go back over that. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? You only have two choices. Now, the word slave there, in the new, like we have this idea, sadly, because of our nation's history and how we poorly treated people, we have this idea of that kind of slavery. There was that kind of slavery in the time of, of Jesus. There absolutely was time where one nation would take another nation and make them their slaves. But what that word here actually means is bondservant. And what would happen often in that culture was someone who was more or less destitute. They would come under someone else's household as a bond slave, as a bond servant, for their protection. So he's saying, so what, so what Paul's saying is, who are you coming under for protection? Are you coming under some world system? Are you coming under some system of, of, of slavery that is like sin-based? Or are you coming under the protection of Christ? That's ultimately what it amounts to. But thanks be to God that you, are, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. There it is, right? That's the whole, and we're going to go into that in great depth next week. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching with which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Guys, we are either moment by moment presenting ourselves to sin or to God. That, that is the wrestle. And Paul is going to show us that wrestle in great detail in Romans chapter 7 in a couple weeks. But here's, my, here's the question. What controls you? What are you mastered by? And how do you know? You know how you know? You know how this passage tells us how you know? What do you do? What do you do? You know how you know who your master is? What do you do? A bond slave, you know how they knew who their master was? Because they were doing what their master told them to do. Now, we have this problem with Jesus. that We're like, yeah, Jesus is loving, Jesus is caring, Jesus is all that. But Jesus never made commands. That is simply a lie. John Piper, when he was at Cambridge, he wrote this. He, he wrote a book called What God, what God demands of the world, what Jesus demands of the world, I'm sorry. And this is, how it's, this is how the book started. He realized that there was this tension, don't read it yet, there was this tension between people saying, well, Paul was very like, do this, do this, do this, but Jesus never was. And he's like, man, that doesn't sound like Jesus when I read the Gospels. So he's like, I'm just going to read the Gospels, just the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm going to write down every time Jesus makes a command. He got to 500 of them, and he stopped. And he's like, man, I don't know how to make sense of this mess. He said, I'm going to read straight through the four Gospels at my little study cubicle in Cambridge, and I'm going to write every one of them down to see if there was an imperative. Every time I see an imperative, that was what I was talking about earlier, a demand. I'm going to write down every imperative. I found 500 of them. And then he's like, man, i got to try to figure out how to make sense of that and make a book out of it. Jesus, here's the, here's the tension we live in as Christians. What we, and, and even as how we share the gospel, what we do does not impact our salvation. We are not works-based. Not all of our good deeds are filthy rags. I, I, and yet, Jesus cares deeply about what we do. 
Nothing we do matters for our, our salvation, but what we do matters. How does that work? I don't know. I know there's eternal rewards. I know that there, I mean, I, I, there's, there's, there's things that nuance that more deeply, but ultimately the answer is, the answer isn't I'm doing to get anything. Ultimately, what the answer is, if you look back to verse 17, obedience from the heart. Why do we obey? Not to get, but because we've already got. I say it this way all the time. When your have to becomes a get to, you know you want to for the right reason. Do you have to read your Bible every day? Do you have to pray? Do you have to come to church? Do you have to be in a D group or discipleship relationship? Do you have to serve in the body of Christ? Do you have to be on mission? Do you have to live with your wives in an understanding way? Do you have to come under the protection of your husband? Do you have to obey your parents as unto the Lord? Do you have to do any of that? The answer is no. If grace is true, if the gospel is real, the answer is no. But if grace is true, and it is, and the gospel is real, and it is, we get to. I get to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I get to serve the body of Christ. That's the, it's all motivation. That's the only difference. That, that it, it is obedience from a heart. We're going to close up by turning one more place. Turn to Galatians. We're going to close up our time. I want to just kind of drive this last point home. Is obedience a blessing? And, and how, does, how does our obedience relate? I said it a few minutes ago. So Galatians is to the right of where we were in Romans. Galatians chapter 5. Guys, understand... I said, I said a few minutes ago, how do we know? How do we know who's in control? Remember today's question? How do we know who's mastered you? What do you do? What are you doing? In that moment, moment by moment, what you're doing tells you what's con- what or who is controlling you. It's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for all of us all the time. In verse 1, I'm gonna, I'm just, verse 1 and then I'm going to jump to verse 16. For freedom, this is, this is the same writer, Paul, he just wrote it like 10 years earlier. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now go to verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, it's the same argument he just made, we just saw. You're either presenting your your weapons to sin or to God. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For for they are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that we want to do. Again, Romans 7, Paul is going to be just really transparent and tell us we're at war. He was at war, you're at war, we're at war. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. But the works of the flesh are evident, and they are, and he lists them. This is, what I'm, this is where I'm getting this idea of, how do you know what's controlling you? If, is your flesh, is the enemy of your flesh, which is the biggest enemy you've got. Yes, Satan is real. Yes, he does have an influence over us. 
your flesh is the biggest, bigger than Satan, bigger than the world, the biggest enemy you've got is you. And he says, and here's what it looks like. And he lists all of these different ones. And then he says, and in the interest of time, I'm just going to end with this and have the music team come up for our time of response. And he says this, but, verse 22, but the, so that this is what, this is what presenting your weapon to sin looks like those things, the deeds of the flesh. Presenting your weapon to God looks like these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Guys, that's what we ought to look like. That's what, you want to know if Doug's a Christian? I just read them. Do those, I pray that almost every day. Lord, help me. I don't feel like that describes me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 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 Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Because that should define our church. That is what people need to see. That's how they'll know God is real. It's the only way. It's God's plan. So which one is controlling you? Who have you submitted your life to? What are you living for? I humbly submit, you know the answer. You do. It's not a secret. Check your day planner. Look at your Netflix, Netflix viewing history. Check your web browser. Look at your bank account. Let's pray. Father, I just, um, Lord, I thank you for the beautiful truth that, that nothing we do or don't do um, hinges, our salvation doesn't hinge on that. That's the beauty of the gospel truth. That we are saved by grace through faith. That's it. Not a result of works. I get it. The works are just an overflow, as James tells us. I'll show you my faith by what I do, James says. So Lord, help us to be a people that show you off by humbly doing what you empower us to do. Paul tells us that, that we need to walk by the power of the Spirit, that we need to be in step with the Spirit, that we cannot on our own crucify our flesh. We cannot on our own walk in the newness of life. As we were called, so walk. We were called dead. I was stone cold dead before you breathed life into me. That was a spirit act of renewal. And, and my walking has to be the same way. Our walking has to be the same way. It has to be through the power of your spirit, by the blood of your son, 
for the fame and the glory of your name. But Lord, I want to pray for all of us that, that, that we, we <coughs> struggle in our deeds of the flesh, we hear the whispers and the lies of the enemy, we see the lure and temptation of the world, and we wonder. But I want to pray in that moment that we would remember what Paul said, that all things are profitable for me, but not all things are lawful. That all things are profitable, but I will not be mastered by any of them. Let our only master be you. If someone were to follow us around as we leave here today, may they just say, wow, that is a life that is being lived for what it professes to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.